yeah, I will start that from there. Yeah, because uh, you really changed my mindset and um, it's an experience that is very scary. And, um, but it actually made me think through my whole life since young and, you know, what I have achieved or not achieved and what should I, what I should be doing in the future. Yeah. So I have uh, two near-death experiences. One was um, when I delivered my eldest son, I had a lot of bleeding after that. So I was in um, semi-unconscious stage, semi-conscious, you know, sort of drifting between conscious and unconscious. And I saw a lot of Buddhist monks beside me praying. You know, at that time, I didn't pay much attention to that experience because, um, you know, it might be from my past, um, my religion belief since young uh, as a Buddhism, you know. So mm -hmm. then I move on with life. And then in 2014, I had a mission for a near cardiac arrest. So at that time, when I was in the emergency lying on the bed, I, all I was thinking was just my young children, you know? And I told myself, I cannot leave them without my guidance. I cannot leave this world. It's, I'm not done yet. <laughs> okay. So yeah, not done yet. So um, because from my nursing experience, I know that um, we have a vagus nerve that connect to our heart directly that balance up with the sympathetic drive. So my heart rate at that time was 140, 150. And there's a lot of short, we call it short runs of uh, ventricular tachycardia. It's quite a dangerous uh, rhythm that people can have sudden death out of it. And I look at the rhythm, it come from many different atopic foci of, from the heart muscle. So it's a very bad sign because it means that the, the, the heart is actually literally in failure stage. It's unable to pump enough cardiac output to circulate the vital organ like our brain. So that I knew that my only chance that time because the doctor, they, they were just looking at the screen and the monitor and they were checking my blood pressure when I I was lying down on the bed, my blood pressure was still holding. We have this compensatory mechanism. So blood pressure was still holding there. They're not going to give me medication. At that point, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to use my mind, trigger the vagus nerve. It, it's just an idea that crossed my mind suddenly and I'm going to activate that vagus nerve to suppress this abnormal rhythm. And I did that. For the next few hours, my heart rate sort of trending down to 190s. Eventually, six hours in after six hours in the emergency department, the doctors were happy to release me home. I request to be discharged because they can't find any abnormality from my blood test result. And I was only 40, you know, pretty young. So they they don't think it's a heart attack because there's no um indication of that from my blood result as well. So I went home. But then my life had changed drastically after that incident. I've actually reviewed what I have not achieved 
and what I really wanted to do, you know, given this second chance. So um, I, I have this internal realization of, I, I started to compare the exterior environment and my internal environment. And I realized that there's a big gap, like <laughs> what I wanted, you know, to achieve is really different from what I had achieved at the environment, the exterior environment is not ideal. So um, I went on to uh, start study intensively. Like I, I set a goal that every day I must read how many papers on any method, any intervention, any compounds that can improve my health, that target my cardiovascular system and uh, improve mitochondria because um, that that abnormal heart rhythm is, it is pretty much due to mitochondria dysfunction of my cardiac muscle. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So that period, I rate it as elevation of consciousness because I also have a lot of anxiety, depression coming in as well. Like um, every day I will wake up and feel relieved that I'm still alive, you know, that sort of thing. Because that abnormal rhythm can attack at any point, and that rhythm greatly indicate that it's a high risk of sudden death in the person. So I had that at the back of my mind all the time. I was really switched on to survival mode at that time. I was grabbing on any form of information, any conversation with anybody, I will grab some idea out of it and I started looking for something that might lead me to a, you know, solution to my health, along my lifespan, my heart health, that sort of thing. So that, that period is what I really read it as a elevation of consciousness. Like I was so conscious of how precious and how uh, vulnerable life can be. And um, yeah, it's, it's a period that I also review my uh, relationship with my colleagues, friends and family. And then I work on internally myself more at that period because uh, I, I try to understand like, you know, sometimes I have conversation, I, I was, I am still a nurse part-time. So I've been in nursing since 1993. It's a long time in the industry. And um, I work with the community a lot. So I work with a very diverse, multicultural uh, community in Melbourne. So for example, um, uh, spoken foreign language other than English at one suburb, near my hospital is around uh, 200 languages. So um, with talking to communication with these people, I actually did learn a lot because I came across a number of indigenous people. They have a different mindset towards life as us healthcare professional, you know. They are very family-oriented, spiritual-oriented. 
and they have their own belief in health, like you know the the spiritual the the my the um family relationship. The elder is plays a huge role in them more than their life. For example, um, I came across this this uh, indigenous lady. She was very sick. She's oxygen dependent and um, she suffered this chronic obstructive lung disease from uh, incident, but she is highly intelligent. She used to work in um, London. She um, utilized her ability to identify uh, people, uh, criminals from uh, companies. So she was in a team that hired by companies to identify who, which worker in the company that has done uh, uh, fault, um, causing trouble in the business. So she had this psychic ability, in other words. So we chat a lot about um, life, spiritual, and she told she taught me a lot on, um, you know what we take from the nature, the earth, we have to always find opportunity to give back, to make it sustainable. So um, I haven't had such thought before. It's always like in our world, you know, we work, we make the income, we demand this, we demand that, we buy this, you know, it's very materialistic. For them, it's all about connecting to the earth, spiritual part, and it's a very sustainable system they built up. So I, I, I just, um, it's just amazing that I started paying attention to all this uh, spiritual teaching. And um, I learned from these people, the wonderful people, and started having a change in my career as well, in the sense that I was becoming highly productive and really achievable because I started able to communicate with people from very diverse cultural background. I was able to understand and um, pay attention to what their needs, like for example, their needs, they might not prioritize their health at all. You know, from our perspective as healthcare worker, we'll say, oh, this person had heart disease, lung disease, they need to do this and A to Z. But for these people, their priority might not be that. Which they people prioritize uh, the communities, very different, oh, okay. yeah, very different cultural background. Can be local Australian, can be indigenous, um, Indian, Afghanistan, Pakistanis. Cambodian, Vietnamese, Chinese, Taiwanese, yeah, just this is a very mixed uh, cultural um, community over here in Melbourne, yeah, especially yeah. this part of Melbourne, the southeastern part that I'm working around, yeah. So I, these people also taught me a number of, I would say biohack, but of course they don't. <laughs> they don't identify that as such. So yeah. like the indigenous patient was actually showing me the hibiscus tea, which has, uh, she said, it, it has very high antioxidant content. 
and it can actually combat the toxic she has in the body due to her chronic lung disease and her kidney failure. When she took the tea, she will feel the body ache relief in a few days. She said it works better than medication. So I listened to now, I listened to her at that stage. I did not tell her, I did not dismiss her belief. I did not tell her to stop that and tell her to rather take Western medicine. Then I, I interviewed her further and then she showed me the hibiscus tea. She, you know, tear the sachet and she showed me it has to be from Egypt, the stigma of the flower, not the petal, you know. So a lot of things they taught me, barberries, um, very high antioxidant. You can uh, source it quite cheap. The organic barberries are quite cheap. Yeah. So she said every time she take a handful of that, kidney function the from the blood test might improve in two or three weeks she might run out of stock because she said yeah might run out of stock from local shop and then she'll find her blood test she had the blood test done every two weekly so it will show some deterioration in her kidney function so she really utilizing combination of different natural plants to high antioxidant plants to combat her her ROS, the free radical from her diseases. And she managed to carry on her, you know, life, her activity, basic activities, um, yeah, with those interventions. So I must say that this, this stage of, you know, um, elevation of consciousness of myself and others really opened my mind really opened my mind yeah would you say you were more materialistic and you became more spiritual after or yes yes definitely yeah i i i i was uh in buddhism but honestly i i didn't really um i wasn't a religious person in the past uh in the sense that you know i just believe that religion like buddhism you know it's just teaching us how to be a good person but it is actually more than that, more than that. Yeah. So uh, this period of elevation consciousness is a great period that I transitioned. It took me a couple of years to transition to that from very materialistic 3D world to this, you know, able to communicate with other human beings from very different background, able to understand them not just from the language point of view, but I kind of able to be like a more compassion towards their feeling. And as a result of that, I actually um, exited what my role expectation. I was able to handle very complex cases I was able to uh, solve, help them solve some of the cases because my role, I was hired by the public hospital is to reduce emission. So there are like a um, group of patients, the hospital I, emergency department, they'll send us a referral. They, they will identify a group of patients who are frequent flyers and they send us a referral. And then we were assigned, you know, 
different cases. And I actually started treating it instead of a nurse and patient relationship. I changed my perspective. I started looking at these people as the same level as me. And I listened to them. And I tried to help them navigate the system and help them to find solution. You know, in, in the sometimes the problem, the issue with changing health habit is not just understanding cognitive function or knowledge. It is very much like the person's feeling, what they prioritize, what they really want to achieve is very different from what we think, you know. So um, yeah, it really helped me and um, actually have a, a really uh, good reputation in my job, in my, at my workplace. And the government actually sent a team of people to investigate why our team has um, achieved like uh, exceeded expectation compared with other, because the government fund different um, teams at different area of Melbourne. Yes, you had exceptional um, results so they investigated you? Yes, yes, yes. Because then what, what we do, we also have frequent case study, case review among the group. So I, I would present the very complex cases and how I actually go about my intervention. And often the first thing come out is I have to start having frank conversation with the person, the patient, and see what they want, their needs, and identify where is the hot button. You know, for example, somebody might be, you know, in a terrible health and um, refusing to seek treatment until they crash and then they will be taken to the hospital. So when I drew into their story, their life, I, I, I'll do home visits. So when I drew into their, their life, their story and connecting with the, their family and their doctors, their, their general practitioner, and um, I, I get the, full, the whole story. I have to build a rapport first, in other words, and then I'll get the full story of what was the actual cause of the frequent admission. Sometimes it can be a um, family relationship issue causing the person has low motivation to stick to their medication regime, you know. So uh, it, it doesn't mean that these people, they do not have the understanding of the importance of improving health. But it's, it's just their mind is so filled with other intense feeling that they, they cannot, they were overwhelmed to, you know, even look into their own health. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I treat everyone the same level as me, those patients, and I learn from them, they learn from me. So it, it's kind of like very good partnership in the end. And that produce really good outcome for these people eventually to find their solution as well. Like I, I assist and coach them, but they, their heart, the door to their heart has to open from inside you know, we can be channeling, you know, giving them a lot of education, but 
the door has to open from the inside. So once they open that to me and I was able to tap into, you know, ways to help them improve their, maybe help them improve their feeling and all that, work together with them. Yeah. So from looking at other people's life, I was also able to review my own life as well. Like I was a lot more grateful of what I have, um, my family, my kids, and I don't, I, I changed my perspective. I don't uh, look at them as a choice or something. I look at them as a wonderful human being that came into my life that will have to work together in this journey. Yeah. And the next, at the same time, my reticular system was um, hypervigilant, really actively looking for solutions for my health because every day, I told you earlier on, every day I will wake up and then feeling, you know, grateful that I'm still alive. I'm still breathing, you know, able to move around. So, yeah. So that, that really drives me further into study. The problem with that longevity study and reading those research paper was um, a lot of time I don't really understand the methodology and the technical part of it because um, my nursing training is really based on, you know, human anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, that sort of you know, very westernized uh, med medicine learning. Now, when I look at the longevity studies, the research paper, that enormous finding they found in lab, either experimented on animals or cell, um, that was not translated to medicine. So I started thinking, you know, maybe there are some solution out there that can greatly improve my heart function. So um, I, gone, I actively seek out for information that will improve my mitochondria. The thing is, my heart was really crap, right? So I feel short of breath if I climb two flights of stairs or if I walk maybe 3, 000, less than 3,000 steps around the neighborhood, I started getting palpitation and it triggered a lot of um, ventricular atopics. And that actually um, declined my um, blood pressure, my cardiac output, everything. And I didn't feel well. So I was very limited by my heart condition at that point. So I, um, I was actually uh, really uh, seeking on any information, grab hold of it and keep reading on it to find out whether there's a solution. At the same time, I um, have to do this, um, improve my function gradually. So it is a long process and I'm not sure. I incorporated a lot of methods that I learned as well from other um, forums of uh, biohackers as well. So sometimes I'm not sure whether it will actually help in my condition, but I just persisted in it because there's no other option. There's actually no other option, right? 
the other way is death. So, um, yeah. So then eventually uh, I went, I built a network locally, um, friends, colleagues, families, true families, um, a, a biohacking community where biohacking enthusiasts, where these people, they really into different methods to improve their health, whether um, exercise, sauna, and then the Chinese would teach me a number of things. And yeah, so, so we communicate a lot and support each other a lot. And also there is always a risk from cell experiment. So uh, we often share what risk, what changes we find as well after certain compound, taking certain compound or what brand works, what brands doesn't work, you know. So all this to me are very important apart from research paper because in the lab is a very controlled environment and the compound they use may be really pure pharmaceutical level, which we might not be able to assess from yeah. our, you know, daily lives. So it, it makes it so important to know, to, to communicate with others, what works for you, what doesn't work for you and why, and you know, how do you find, find out and all these things and what was your uh, blood test result, your scan result. It is really important. I, I give you an example. I had a friend and she put herself on taurine, two cramps, two grams a day. She has a normal heart function. She's only young and she exercises a lot. She is really major in, you know, keeping her youth, her fitness, everything. And she put herself on two grams taurine daily, I think probably for five years since I knew her from 2019. And recently she started telling me she felt a bit short of breath. So I said, well, you, you're still young, um, probably go for an echocardiogram just to make sure there's no underlying structural issue and all that. Um, so it turned out she has a valve uh, regurgitation, but it's a different valve than mine. Mine is a mitral valve, hers is an aortic valve. And I started thinking, maybe, you know, it's not a great idea to supplement high taurine um, for someone who has a normal heart function. Because I went in to study about taurine. I myself have a horrible experience, impending cardiac collapse with uh, six grams of taurine. So um, taurine, has a biphasic activity so at certain dose and it's quite individualized as well so at certain dose lower dose it, it will suppress the abnormal heart rhythm but once you go over this dose to a high dose it actually trigger more abnormal rhythm you go there you will go the other way around so and taurine exhibit um uh, positive inotropic effect on heart muscle. It means it strengthens, it improves your heart contractility. So that, when I think about it, if somebody has a normal heart function, right, 
and you constantly stimulate the muscle to work harder. You know, what might happen day after day and year after year? Yeah, Would it tight. actually, yeah, why it overwork the mitochondria? That's how my friend is so young, but she started getting a bit short of breath and it's really, um, I can't find other sub other we go we went through her list of supplement her lifestyle intervention she live a very healthy life she will go to the gym every day she'll run on treadmills she swims she use sauna so she she's not over exercising herself in the way that she spent about an hour daily like a persistent so she's quite lean and muscular it's not like you know, she, she's been sedentary and suddenly she increased her exercise intensity. That's all situation. So I started question about taurine and I went and read further about. So in cardiology, they know about this compound for more than 20 years. It is a well-known, it works on the iron channel. It changes the iron channel of the heart muscle. You know, it work on that. Changes the potential, action potential threshold. That is how it actually improved the contractility of the heart. So the study on the chronic heart failure patient, they need taurine. They need that because their taurine level is very low. Their, their body is unable to synthesize the taurine, um, enough taurine, and then their heart is in failure. So you give them a bit of inotrope, um, improve the heart muscle contractility, it will improve their cardiac output to circulate blood to the wider organs and that actually improve their overall general health you know the function so it is a different uh, application for a normal heart function so I became very cautious of about this compound and as you can read from my Twitter every now and then I'll put up the warning on the Twitter um, and if you look at those uh, case study on the young athletes that uh, had cardiac arrest after high dose of taurine and caffeine from the energy drink, you kind of can grasp the idea that, yeah, you, you can't, you know, you're going overdose the other way around, is actually exerting the heart. Yeah, so how many Red Bulls is unsafe? Um, I read recently from a case study that is this um, young basketball player at his uh, 20s. I think he had a cardiac collapse with uh, four cans, three or four cans of the energy drink. And um, somebody on Twitter actually investigated and told me one can of that particular energy drink consists of one gram of taurine. So he had four grams yeah, four grams and then he went for the basketball match obviously the sympathetic you know drive overdrive because in fight and flight mode during the competition so all this add up actually trigger a ventricular and abnormal rhythm impending arrest um not impending but he actually had cardiac arrest yeah cardiac arrested so you know, biohacking comes with a lot of risk, and that is why I think it's really important to form a, to communicate with others, form a community kind of, to safeguard each other as well. Like, 
I find that other biohackers, each of them, they, they pay attention to different things because they probably have a particular health issue, you know, um, that they really pay attention to. And so they read in depth on that particular uh, intervention or compounds. And they're, no, they're very knowledgeable, knowledgeable. I learned so much from others, you know, throughout the years. And I was able, now it's like a give and take system also, you know, I share my information actively with others. You know, um, people might think I'm displaying all the information on the Twitter, but I'm actually trying to filter, it's like my fil filtration system. I'm trying to attract people who had interest in this and people who are doing different things than me and what what are the outcomes, you know? So yeah, it's a filtration system. Um, uh, I have friends asking me why you put out all this information, you know, for free. For I said, it's a give and take. I have to provide something for people that's valuable. And then in return, they'll share with me the information they know, correct? So in that way, we do it in a safer way. Because uh, I don't think the research uh, experiment can cover all the aspects of a certain thing for like taurine is one good example you know the research cannot cover in all the aspect like i couldn't find any research on long-term usage of taurine for a normal heart you know so i i couldn't find i only found one particular case study and then the other one was my friend here who used taurine for five years yeah hmm so Stephen, do you find that this this will be helpful for you as well? Yes, I think people look for things like blueprints and protocols that are specific for them. Yeah, but they also you can't give too much specific individualized prescriptions yes. for people. You have to do a general thing, and then you have to narrow it down based on yeah how they react, and then you have to self experiment. Which is yes, the correct. difficult part of biohacking, which people they just think more is better, so they overdo everything and they end up with no results. Yes, correct, correct. No result or that result or that complication. These are all that we need to pay attention. Yeah. So you you're right, you know, because Recently, I have talked to different people. Everyone can tolerate a different dose of melatonin. We know melatonin is a hot topic now. And I, I, I can feel improvement with a high dose. That just, it's just me, you know. Maybe I'm really severely deficient in that. I'm not sure. Because I already have pre-existing, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction of my heart. So I speculate hypothesize that, you know, I need a higher dose. I just hypothesize and went and try on different dosage and then I got the, some side effect from three grams a day from taking it during daytime. I took it during day and during night, you know, I just want to see what effect I got. Um, but also I knew that it's pretty safe, you know, melatonin is pretty safe. The worst it gives me is a severe uh, nauseous and constipation. Like literally, I stopped eating for three to four days when I went on three grams a day. 
uh, six times. Like I take it, you know, during daytime as well. And I felt this hypothermic chills came out from my spine and my arms, my limbs. I yeah. wasn't normal. Yeah. So then when I, but the thing is the peak action is two hours around, right? So I, I was wanting to have that melatonin in my system, you know, throughout the day, but that doesn't work. You know, it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't suit the circadian rhythm. I realized that. So I move it to, I cut it back to two gram and move it to bedtime. And it yeah. worked wonderfully. <laughs> yeah. Greatly improved my sleep. And then I will wake up the next day. My mind, my brain so much lighter. I felt the difference. And then over time, with other intervention, even high-dose omega-3, I find my function is working better. It's amazing. Because I used to... I, I walk, I, I will park my car at the distance from the uni and walk to the uni as my exercise regime. So um, last year, this this half an hour walk, and I would feel a bit puffed because I'm, I'm always rushed to the classes. So half an hour walk, same distance. This year, I was able to complete less than 15 minutes and wasn't puffed at all. In yeah. a matter of two years, to me, it's a great improvement. That is after I added the mega dose omega-3 and uh, melatonin from last year. Yeah. So the years prior to that, I started biohacking from 2014, the near cardiac arrest experience. So I have tried multiple dosage of different compounds, different intervention. Um, I think by far, these two have brought me uh, enormous improvement in my cardiac function, cardiovascular system. What was the dose of the omega-3? Sorry? My dose? Was, yes. Uh, omega okay. I, um, I'm embarrassed to tell people whenever they <laughs> ask, but I have to let people know my body is abnormal. Um, I have genetically extremely high lipid LDL. Um, so as my HDL is higher than normal people. Um, yeah, and I as congenital having this mitral valve regurgitation. So my cardiologist, um, he's very knowledgeable. He has retired, but he told me he, he's been followed up with his patient who had congenital mitral valve prolapse. Um, they have some form. She, he said, I'm genetically have uh, had genetic uh, abnormality in my um, collagen ligament forming because I have very long fingers and limbs, and I'm very thin, you know. So um, he said, I'm very prone. He noticed in all these patients very prone to side effect of drugs, medications. So that mega dose omega-3 was an accident, right? Because yeah. I wasn't wearing my reading glasses to read the label. And I, I was just, okay, or on, online, I checked this brand, but they had different strength. They had different strength. So I went to chemist, bought the higher strength. I came home. I wanted to take three grams a day 
but I ended up after three months, I noticed my skin, my wrinkle reduced, my skin improved, my hair dropped significantly, it stopped, it's so obvious because prior to that, from after 2019, I noticed my vision decline suddenly and I started having a lot of hair, hair loss, especially after shower. I would have lumps and lumps, I'll pick up lumps and lumps of hair. So then that stopped suddenly. And I was finding it strange because at the same time, I'm also started the cold shower after sauna. So I thought, oh, maybe it's that, you know. Then after three months, I started uh, feeling suspicious of that. So I read through the label of my supplements to realize I was overdosing myself for three months on 18 grams a day. Oh, wow. Huh. And and I was shocked that time. I said, like, oh my God, what will happen to me, to my heart? So I went on Twitter. Again, it's my best source of info. <laughs> and I, I met uh, Madam Mitochondria, you know, MM. I call her MM. I yeah. met her and Julia discussing, you know, about the benefit of omega-3. And, and the benefit is amazing. And then I started a conversation and I identify is the mega dose omega-3 so even my best friend helen she noticed that the front my hair got thicker after three months and my the front of my hair become darker so she said oh what have you started recently that you didn't tell me <laughs> and then i was embarrassedly you know i told her about this 18 gram omega-3 but i have to emphasize that people does get um abnormal heart rhythm from high dose because uh, that, that is the thing, the good thing about involve oneself in the biohacking community. This, this lady um, that I met from Twitter, she actually mentioned the high dose omega-3. I think she went on eight grams a day. It triggers uh, palpitation and uh, more uh, atopic beats the PVCs. The, that PVC is short form for premature ventricular contraction. So it's a atopic bits of the heart muscle. So she got that happen and she reduced to six grams daily. Six grams daily and it stopped. So everyone is so different. I can tolerate very high dose with no problem. In fact, you can see my I, I, I got my youth back. My hair is so thick now, so bushy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, biohacking community to me is a wider part of doing all this to safeguard each other. And um, I'm happy to be communicating with people all the time on this uh, intervention and sending out warning. Yeah. Yes. What do you think of uh, the more radical interventions like Metformin and rapamycin. Yeah, well, for I, someone who's non-diabetes, from this, this is from my reading. For someone who's non-diabetes and um, um, you know, normal healthy person, I don't think metformin is indicated because it actually is a. Uh, it, it, it reduced, it hurts the function of the mitochondria. You know, we, we have to be really careful of that. 
I've I've noticed a few people when on metforming they losing their face volume. Um, now, observing facial changes is one of my skill that I build out over years. I'm very observant. I, I can literally look at my patient and I can tell, are you not feeling well today? You know, so the the changes in the face volume tells a lot, like whether I, I did. OK, this is my own hypothesis after reading through the Chinese medicine uh, uh, teaching, because um, it reflects on our face, the, the, the circulation have to go against gravity and get pumped by the blood towards our head, our brain and our face, correct? Yes. So if anything that affects that system, cardiovascular system, or anything that affects the regeneration of cell, you can actually visualize it from face, from our face. So I see people having sagging, sagging face, you know, with that. And I started questioning whether it actually, you know, uh, go is a MTOR inhibitor. So apart from, you know, having losing volume, the face, whether the other internal organ that we can't see, whether the, you know, synthesis of amino acid, the tissue, new tissue to replace the old or damaged will be affected as well, do you know? And then um, I follow, I also pick a few um, knowledgeable people that I follow their Twitter, their blogs and um, education resource they put up and I subscribe to it. And as you uh, shove to me this morning, um, Chris, Master John mentioned that my dog, uh, it kills mitochondria. It hurts mitochondria. So uh, I really don't think it's a good idea for someone who's non-diabetes. But for the diabetes patient, I've noticed metformin really helpful because um, it actually improve, able to improve their BMI a little as well. That's what I noticed with the patient. Yeah. So the other thing with the cohort that I'm following up, they mostly elderly with chronic diseases. So you can't expect them to intensively exercise like us, you know, engage them to a daily exercise regime just like that. Their, their exercise regime literally is sitting on the chair using a rubber, the, the tension band to, to move the arm and leg a little, you know, that sort of thing. So I don't think that loss BMI sudden can come from this kind of low movement, you know. So yeah, that's the thing that I noticed. What was the other compound that you asked me earlier on? Rapamycin. Oh, rapamycin. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not expert in the compound yet. And I, I told you I'm only at my second year learning of Bachelor of Science. So rapamycin, um, a bit not convinced yet at this stage because uh, of the side effect, you know, and the ulcers the patients get from. Although the argument there by the rapamycin and juices is um, the dosage they use for longevity purposes is a lot lower. But 
I, I would think that at the moment, my BMI is really ideal. So with the exercise intensity and um, all the other intervention, yeah, I probably won't try rapamycin at this stage yet. Yes, yeah. I'm confused at what rapamycin is supposed to be doing for longevity in general. Uh, I think it's also the because the effect comes from the MTOR inhibition. Okay. So the low dose inhibit MTOR pathway number one, MTOR one, and higher dose inhibit both MTOR one and two pathway. Yeah. Okay. So the higher dose where it gives side effect like oral ulcer or some blood abnormality, white cell, you know, abnormality, those are, they come from this um, inhibition of both pathway. That's my understanding. Yeah. But um, I, I think I agree with another person on Twitter. He actually mentioned to me that if we are young and active and able to exercise, exercise will be a better MTOR inhibitor than you know the compound because you you might overdoing it. You have no idea it's happening internal internally. You know, if one is not careful, our hormone like as we age, our cell production renewal uh, slowing down our hormone production will decline and you really don't want to over-inhibit the building block of all this, correct? Yes. So, for example, also, you know, the gut, the mouth ulcer is a good example because if someone developed ulcer at 6MG, because someone did tell me on, in your, on Twitter again, you know, that's why I love Twitter. Um, the six milligram weekly cause her mouth ulcer. So to me, it's over inhibit. Maybe this person, you know, already have genetically have having uh, issue with MTOR, you know, building muscle, you know, forming amino acid, synthesizing amino acid in her body. If she, she take this and she develop ulcer, but others not, we actually have to think, you know, whether even a low dose can cause effect in certain people. Yeah. So yes. why why I emphasize on I why I take so much notice on the mouth ulcer because mouth ulcer is what we can see, we know, we can feel. But the ulcer can happen along your gut. And our gut is a major defense from major barrier from pathogens. If you have the ulcer in the gut, you, you would, I would guarantee the pathogen in our gut would immediately invade into our bloodstream, you know? So to me, it's a big risk. And then you, you project, you, you um, uh, expose yourself to chronic inflammation. So I'm very careful. And to me also, what I noticed from my elderly patients, they all have declined in appetite. They don't have increased appetite as we don't increase our appetite as we age. That's, that's just how our body responds as things, production, everything slows down. 
we consume less food, you know, we feel full. So if somebody, you subject them to something that might hurt the gut lining, the digestion system, it might actually worsen the situation. So I'm not sure these are the questions in my thoughts. So I, I would just be careful with using the compound to inhibit. But there are, um, uh, Steve, I'm not sure if you are aware, there are many natural compounds has a little bit of MTOR inhibition. If you look up the list, I can send you the list later. Um, things like flavonoid, um, astralagus, even mushroom that we use has a little bit of MTOR inhibition, just a tiny bit to help improve our health. And then you add on exercise. And that might be really ideal for us. Do you know what I mean? Like you have a balance of not over inhibit it. You have a balanced homeostasis of AMPK, MTO, MTOR, you know, pathway activation. You have a balance of both. You clean up, you uh, destroy AMPK, clean up the old cell damage, and then your body rebuild the new one regenerate the new one where the mtor pathway so to me that is like a homeostasis a balance we need a balance in that that is emphasized that was emphasized in chinese medicine as well because i noticed the chinese medicine was mentioning about yin and yang the food they classify under yin and the food they classify under yang it can be what they notice as a AMPK and MTOR pathway inhibition. So um, activation, sorry. So, so the AMPK activation. So uh, yeah, to me, balance is important. And we can start from young, you know, if, if your BMI is within normal, you are healthy, you don't have metabolic dysfunction, you don't have diabetes, that natural compound add up with exercise, some sauna, it's good. Okay, so it depends on the starting. You have high muscle and low fat, you can stand supplementing more with omega-3s because they're fats? Uh, is that a general I, statement that's right, or is it just speculative? Okay, <laughs> now... You know, you pointed out a good point because I have attempted to reduce my uh, omega-3 dosage because I noticed after almost two years, right? Two years of mega dose, I noticed I built my waistline and my tummy easily. This has not happened in the past. So I started thinking about that fatty acid I'm taking you know the whether I have overshot the dose now my body has yeah. built up enough reserve of that omega-3 fatty you know so maybe it's time to start uh, titrating down yes. yeah because I, I noticed that and that is very strange to me because I, I, I can hardly put on weight my BMI is always maintaining at 18 now I actually recently have went up three kilos, a bit of tummy waistline, but also I believe some muscle as well. 
uh, because I have increased my exercise intensity. So, yeah, I'm, I'm starting titrating down, think, thinking of that perspective. And then uh, there are also research saying that omega-3 actually can stimulate, um, that's a receptor, it can stimulate uh, formation of fat cells, the smaller, smaller fat cells, you know. So, yeah, we need to be careful of the dose. Not everyone mm -hmm. has my cardiac issue that require a high dose, but high dose, the accidental um, overdose on that mega dose was a surprise and a surprise finding that it actually helped with my hair volume. Yeah. But I think normal people should probably go by the dose recommended by um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, you know. Okay. If they have underlying heart issue like me, probably can slowly increase the dose, try a little bit higher, but not extreme dose like mine, what I'm doing. Yeah, because if somebody started with a low muscle mass and high fat, they would need to start exercising and eating more protein to build their muscles up, get their fat and muscle yeah. combination in the correct balance. Yeah. Yeah. The omega three also help to build muscle as well. Right. It is is the the dosage. That's why I I encourage I encourage others to look into the safety dosage. Try out. You know, and then consider always biohacking. Now, one thing that I learned from I learned through hard lessons. Any compound I come across, it, it might seem like very safe, you know. Um, but first thing, we actually have to search up on the side effect first, you know. Mm -hmm. That is the safety. You firstly, because recently I, I didn't do this again with collagen. And then I found out that there's actually quite a bit of side effect with high dose collagen. So, yeah. I thought collagen, you know, we require so much. Our body is mainly built of that, like um, 30 over percent of our ECM, extra cellular matrix. So um, I might I might get this figure wrong because after COVID, my brain is a bit slow. <laughs> anyway, um, so I was rationally uh rational that um no we 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 are mainly you we have so many percentage of collagen we need that much so taking this much is not going to harm you know but when i look up on the side effects i actually found you know certain type of collagen like skin from the skin source like fish skin you know or animal skin the mainly collagen type one it can actually increase fibrosis of liver or if high dose, you know, long-term high dose. Um, and animal source, if it's from bone, there is a high risk of hypercalcemia, like increased calcium level in our serum, mm -hmm. and then increase the risk of kidney stone. So someone has had history of kidney stone tendency should actually avoid that. Because mm. yes, I know that calcium needs to be uh, paired with magnesium and zinc to work effectively. Otherwise, you get too much calcium and it calcifies. 
Yeah, the vessel. Yeah, and even uh, K two is important as well to to um put the the calcium in the right place, the bone instead of the vessel. Yeah, vitamin K is a hidden miracle worker that people don't seem to know about. Yeah, K two especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, the first I think the first step anyone who's doing biohacking should look up on side effect of the compound first first step. And then uh, I'll weigh the benefit and the risk and you you have to incorporate your own condition and see if you know my after I read through my decision is still go ahead because I need this for my heart or something, then I will slowly titrating the dosage and um, yeah, comparing with my heart rate pressure, rhythm and my kidney function, liver function, everything. Yeah, even urine albumin, I, I regularly check it as well because albumin leak in the urine is a sign of kidney dysfunction, beginning of kidney dysfunction. So, yeah, need to be careful of that. Yeah, so the last good. bit, we, you have any uh, you would like to discuss? Yeah, before we get to aliens, the... uh, <laughs> before we get to aliens, I know you are a big fan of the biophoton. If you want to explain what that is. <laughs> The alien technology. <laughs> yes. Biophoton. Yes. Sorry, biophoton. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was um, I was reading on acupuncture because one of my friend is learning acupuncture, and he was experimenting on me, right? But I I actually stopped that because I find it so risky. <laughs> for you know an experienced person to do that but anyway I was yeah. reading on that and then I came across the research done by uh, Korea scientists back in 1960s that he identified this meridian system well it's actually meridian system is uh, like a lymphatic system it's a different system from lymphatic and blood vessels right is um, applied in the by the Chinese medicine in acupuncture. So it is very strange because when my friend insert a needle at the middle of the at the front aspect of my my mid shin, I could not lift that leg. You would imagine your your leg muscle is up there, right? Way up there. It would not affect you, right? You can still lift it. The most you will put out is some pain from the needle side, correct? I could not move. I was stuck in the chair. And he said he intentionally do that because he knew I cannot sit there for an hour for the acupuncture. <laughs> so this meridian system is true. And I was like, oh my God. So those things that they mentioned in the Kung Fu movie, you know, that I watched when I was little, they literally just tap on certain point of the body and the person will be uh, frozen, can't move, right? So anyway, I went and read about that and then I read 
that uh, Korean scientists research on this system and he found that system, the system can only be identified through fluorescent imaging in a live, uh, a live uh, subject, you know, that means you can't find the meridian system in a dead body. So anyway, from his research, it talked about this biophoton uh, bio transfer. So um, we know that living things emit biophoton, a, a very weak um, light energy from their living cells. So um, I read that it, this biophoton can actually travel through the meridian system. And what the function of acupuncture is to actually activate, give it like a shock, you know, activate the system. Um, the transfer of the biophoton to certain part of the body they intended to um, treat, right? So, but then that after the activation, it need to be maintained, the system. So that is where the qigong and other things comes in. You know, you move the qi around your body. So I think there is a relation between biophoton and the qi flow. That's my own um, understanding from reading different Chinese and the Korea uh, research paper, right? Um, so then I came across this information online about the our penile gland and the serotonin that is secreted. It actually, the molecule can dot into the 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 space in the DNA, you know, between the two um, backbone. So um, then it struck me because, well, it's, and they, um, I think that paper, they identify five molecules that can dot into that uh, between the DNA. And when they did experiment, when they did that, there is increased intensity of the biophoton emitted by the DNA. So uh, it just made me think that that whole thing is a cell healing mechanism that we didn't know about. But the Chinese medicine, they knew for a long time. But how do they figure out this? You know, thousands of years ago, how did they figure out this? There has to be some lost technology knowledge that um, we didn't have the access, you know. So... Um, to me, it's all linked, like you activate that point, you allow DNA from certain part of the body to transmit the biophoton to the other part. Do you know? Just yeah. like recently when I read about the gray hair area of the head, at the front is linked with the kidney and the side is linked with the liver. It is so interesting because how it's linked is through the, what I read from the TCM is through the meridian system. The meridian system is linked. So then, which means when they apply the activation at a certain point of acupuncture, they unblock this meridian system connecting these two parts of the body. And it allows the DNA to trans, you know, trans the biophoton transferring between that system to allow some healing happen. That's, that's just my speculation from reading all this. So, so what is the exact me mechanism of that? 
I, I'm really not sure. I'm really <laughs> not sure because there wasn't much studies on this. And um, I only can grab hold a few information and I have um, this feeling because I after I my near-death experience, I hasn't explained to you, mentioned it. Um, I have this um, unexplained intuition, unexplained. So I'll come across something in my mind that, oh, I need to look up on this and start doing this. That happens to the omega-3 and that also happened to the melatonin and the taurine as well. It, it just crossed my mind, the compound, like I just wake up in the morning, I was making drink in the kitchen and suddenly I said, oh, I need to go and read on this compound and go and buy some and try, you know? So this intuition that I believe is for good purpose because I either find the compound is very helpful or I find the side effect like taurine of this popular compound and I was able to put up warning through the Twitter. So this biophoton is also my intuition. I somehow read when an experience uh, acupuncture and realize, wow, my God, this meridian system does exist because I cannot move. I was stuck in chair by two needles. Can you believe it? One on my right shin and one on my left shin. I couldn't move out myself. I couldn't lift myself up from the chair. So it's all connected. There are different systems that we don't know of. I'm pretty sure the needle did not poke into my nerve. Yeah, because if that happened, I would have pain after that, like persistent pain, correct? Yes. That's, there was no pain after the needle went in and there was no pain after the needle, the needle came out. Everything's back to normal. Mm. Yes. Mm. So there has to be some lost knowledge technology that we are not aware of. So talking about the alien technology, yes. why I interested. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yes, when I was little, um, about eight, between eight, ten years old, uh, me and my sister, one night we were lying on our bed, we looked um, outside our window, there's some red, there's a red grove. It's quite big. It was there for a few minutes. And then I saw it when... Uh, ascend to the sky and disappear. So from that point on, and then I watched the Hollywood movies on UFO and I truly believe they exist. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and then last year, one of my friends, he gave me a series of books um, by this group of people who does channeling with RA. So RA is some form of entity in the universe that was trying to communicate with human um, to, to teach us about love, about the law of one unity, right? So uh, one of the book is about, um, so the, it was founded by Don Elkin. So he's a, he was a physicist, a professor in one of the uni in US. He also had joined military and actually has um, was in a high position 
and apparently that that's all I read online. He he went into this position so that he can access the classified file on UFO in the military. Yeah. So anyway, I read his book. He wrote the book on secret of UFO. That book was published, I think, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. And he there were already two million plus of known cases of uh, UFO sighting in US. So um, I read that book and I believe it because he went and follow up and interviewed those cases, the UFO contact, interviewed them and their family, what happened, you know. And you you look at the background of these people, what 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 he documented. Um, I like Sharif or um, a police officer or someone from the military base. I don't think they will apply their imagination and say something strange like that. You know what I mean? These are people that uh, they really had the logical mind to carry out their duty and all, you know. So, um, all this case study on UFO contact sighting or kidnaps, um, to me, I believe it happened. And um, yeah, one of the case, one of the adoptee, he was actually handed, he was hunting at that time. And when the alien found him and the alien, alien asked, are you hungry? And they telepath, you know, they use the mind communication telepath him. And then the alien handed him a few tablets and he swallowed it. So anyway, he was taken to the alien spaceship and, you know, all this. After that, few days later, he was found somewhere and uh, the passerby took him to the hospital. When they run through scan and blood test, so they run through the blood x-ray and scan of his body they found that the doctor found that the old tb scar supposed in his lung has gone missing has gone missing so tb scar scarring old tb scarring will not heal just like that because we can often the refugees when when they we do chest x-ray on the refugees, we can see whether they had old TB infection that's not active, but it leaves the scar in the lungs. So it won't heal just like that. So there has to be something they give him that has this tissue regeneration ability. And the doctor also found that in his blood, there's a high level of certain vitamins. But that book did not um, document what type of vitamins you know but anyway yeah it all points to there are some form of technology we don't know of be it in the um, mechanical part building the the architects of this uh, spaceship or longevity health site you know so um the other interesting thing um have you come across uh this name um bob lazar Yes, he's very famous. Yeah, so he mentioned something that uh, the spacecraft that he uh, supposed to um, reverse engineer the technology, 
right? The alien space craft. Uh, he found that um, the propulsion system, the, the element 115, the element 115 uh, in the periodic table that was this that was synthesized by the scientists in 2003. So that element 115 uh, was used in the propulsion system of the alien spaceship. But this compound element actually able to change the gravitation. That is how the alien can travel through space time by augmenting the gravitation, gravity pull between the spaceship. You know, and which means that their their system is different from ours, and they can uh, propel through the space really fast because they changes the gravitation around them. So um, yeah, as reading Pop Lazar's um, um, the documentary on that, and I was um, and in this. Secret of UFO in the book. Don Elkin actually documented that the aliens from those adoptees, when they, you know, those people who was adopted by the UFO and brought to spaceship, they have conversation with the alien telepathically, and um, it it was repeatedly uh, mentioned that they the alien was able to change the density of their spaceship to enter our dimension. So the density of the spaceship, what it it affects with the gravity pull, correct? There's a yes. relation to it. There's a relation to it. So when I read what Dong Elkin wrote about that in that book, I was like, bang. That will that explain. I I kind of like can accept that theory very well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So the alien technology, I think, um, I believe it, the UFO exists, and we should actually look into how learn from their technology to improve our own, um, say solve our own problem like energy supply, reduce the pollution to the environment, and yeah investigating you know travel through space investigating the universe because with our current technology i'm not sure if we can move you know any faster because you know that's that's so slow right the space moving through the universe is so slow and the spaceship moving is so slow how can we ever reach a further part a different, a distant planet to investigate, to build things and all that. Yeah, I think they have to investigate. Yeah, we have to drastically change our perspective. So I'm hopeful that um, with the new, as the newer technology developed by scientists, we are able to communicate or access to all this knowledge or information, you know, and then we can utilize that to improve our humanity to our advantage. Even, even with our own inert abilities, such as telepathy, 
right? According to Don Elgin, he said he interviewed the adoptees that the pattern is the same. All the communication is not verbal. It's through the telepathy mind communication. And there's no language barrier because the alien, say for example, the alien might be thinking about a knife and the other party will understand it's a knife, you know, but if we verbalize in different languages, English and Mandarin will sound very different. And then we, we don't understand each other if we don't understand that language, correct? But telepathy does not have this problem. So he said, according to Don Elgin, he said, we human has this ability. And why I believe so? Because it often happened to me and my very close friend, my best friend, we were thinking about the same thing at the same time. I might be sending her some information and at the same time, she was looking at the same information, you know, and it happened quite often. So I believe we have this ability and we can actually telepath each other from a far distance. Um, even I have done that, um, with my friend in overseas, you know. So I believe if we can train this ability, belief, I mean, we first have to believe there's a possibility. And then we look for ways to train it up. And then with this telepathy ability, because according to um, Bob Lazar, the, the the design inside the spaceship is actually the UFO is different from ours. The, the interface, the leverage, the button, the switch, there's no such thing. It's all smooth, seamless surface. So he speculate, speculated that it's a biomechanic kind of device, the, the spaceship, the UFO spaceship. It's a biomechanic where the pilot actually telepathy with with the um the flying saucer the ufo vehicle yeah. so if we can start training up our ability and also there are other ability that i i think the broadcast is the time is nearly the end um there are other ability that we should also train up and not be limited by our current understanding and that if we are able to in, improve, we regain those abilities, we are able to utilize technology to our advantage like AI. You know, we right now we fear of AI because we didn't realize our potential. If we human realize our potential and we gain those, regain those ability, we, we weigh as it what AI can do. do agree what i say what's yes. your opinion i do i think uh and he doesn't understand how telepathy works you can just think of quantum entanglement and extrapolate from there as being larger than quantum entanglement even though it's not scientifically proven you can understand how it might work yes so if we can collapse time and space, 
like what Dr. Joe Dispenza have been saying, like what Rob Lazar say, we can, you know, changes, we can change the gravitation. We can move through space, time in a different way, different thinking of, now we're thinking about time as a one linear stream. Mm -hmm. But it might not be, you know, it, the, the way, you know, it might not be that. It, it, we can travel through different dimensions, probably instantaneously, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I would like to keep an open mind to all this. Yeah. Especially yes. recently, I had a conversation with my youngest brother. I went back home two weeks ago to visit my family. And he told me he actually was able to visualize entities from different dimensions from young. So that's one entity. He said is female, long hair in our house, our home. And she appeared after I left home. So I left home in 1993 to study nursing. I went to another city, moved to another city. So he says she appeared after that in his bedroom every day. She's not bothering him. She's just there watching him. And he's got um, psychic ability and he's able to view entity from other dimension even now. So because of my recent learning, I open up this conversation and he told me a lot of things that he never disclosed before. So yeah, I think we have a lot of ability that we, we are not aware of. Even like when I was reading Dr. Michael Lewin's uh, recent research paper on how one cell can, lung cell can cell assemble into the biobots and repairing the neuron so the gap in the neuron so is amazing that there's a lot of things that we do not understand about ourselves. Yes, there's a lot of potential. How is what do you think of the genetics versus epigenetics? Genetic epigenetic, uh, my understanding genetic is the information that we pass on. Um, we, we pass on about how the body should function, how the cell should function, correct? And what cell should, um, should form into an organ, different organ, that sort of thing, right? The information for protein synthesis, amino synthesis, amino acid synthesis. Uh, epigenetic is what accumulate outside the gene, right? Over years. Uh, changes from the environment, exterior or internal environment from our body. It, like uh, to me, it's like creating a mark on that genetic outside the genetic. So, um, it it affects. It can over time the accumulation of that epigenetic changes affects how our cell function, but we also able to probably augment that so that that is all my thoughts from my reading yeah so i'm not expert in this field at all not i'm just a reader learner mm, that's what i understand 
Yes, because I recently heard a different explanation or inter perspective on it, which is that um, the genes don't really do much. There's basically just blueprints that are instructions or programs. Uh. And you can change those programs based uh. on <laughs> what input you put in. Mm. So correct. if you have the wrong... So maybe it'll work with like proteins and fats and various chemicals and compounds like that, but it won't. Mm. But and won't work with other things like concrete or like inanimate matter. So you have mm. to add in the correct amount of light or water and magnetism and gravity, and, and it has to be in the right combination. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It has a, certain tolerances and it has to be in a, it seems like it has to be in a narrow range but maybe the range can be expanded a little bit through epigenetics mm. so there's a lot of potential that's still mm. in the genes and in the environment which mm. is the genes interacting with the environment mm. i like to think of it like uh it's a dynamic system how uh our cell can adapt to environment. It's a dynamic system. So uh, there's influences and then that epigenetic changes occur to cope with that changes, you know, from the environment, the surrounding inside the environment in the cell. So it can be um, kind of like switch on switch off as both the scientists say so yeah. also to me when you mentioned about good gene i actually think there's no such as good and bad gene although we like to use that term a lot right to differentiate i actually think there might not be good and bad gene we all were given the gene right but yes. it's how where we live the environment, how we carry on our lifestyle that affects how it responds to it. Yes. So, yeah. So when people say, but gene mutation can occur because of the environment as well and pass on to the next generation. So, yeah. So it's like a dynamic um, system. It changes um, and maybe the end is also adapt adaptation mechanism. So if we find that that changes is not ideal to our health, we have to change our practice. We have to change our practice to try to augment that when we have the opportunity before um, more permanent damage sit in. Yes, I'm pretty sure I didn't say there were good or bad genes. I, <laughs> I only meant uh, the way that the environment. Uh. But I think the uh, Brian Johnson blueprint is a moment in how to figure yeah. out that there is yeah. no good or bad. There is only how uh. things are interacting with and. Uh. Even with the diabetes, right? Yes. That when when 
I read the recent studies and research paper, the diabetes, the insulin resistance occur because the cell simply had too much overnutrition, enough, you know, it's trying to shut down, shut off to more. That's why it becomes insulin resistant. And that's yeah. why the glucose build up in our blood, you know. So mm -hmm. there's also this hypothesis that, you know, giving more. Now, this one, many people will shoot me for saying this. Giving more, if you think about it, giving more insulin to allow the cell to uptake more glucose doesn't um, solve the root cause, you know, doesn't solve the problem. If you think about it. Isn't it the unadaptive interaction between the genetic blueprint and the environment? So certain um, cultures seem to have a higher tolerance for carbohydrates, especially the ones that are closer to the equator because they get more sun. Yeah. So the Yeah, the higher carb intake. Single yeah. It has the same basic food, but they all have different weather systems and different temperatures and different amounts of sun. Yeah, I think the other issue from that is the environment remain around similar and the food source around for the area, but people lifestyle has changed the modern modernized lifestyle. You know, yes. maybe for high cup uh, intake group, they used to be very active, very active. Yes. They work all the time because weather is warm, they're out all the time, you know, doing this and that. Whereas when the colder weather, people are, you know, shield from cold, trying to protect themselves from coldness, you know, less activity. So they don't need that much of cup, maybe, you know. So, but modernized lifestyle is pretty pretty much standardized for everyone, isn't it? Every part of the world. <laughs> sedentary lifestyle. Yes. Sedentary lifestyle, work, extensive uh, hours every day, like fixed hours, attend school, fixed hours every day, sedentary. Yeah. That part has Bye. changed. Because Dr. Jacques says that you should always eat the food that is local to your environment because it's yeah, in the and also go by the season. Yes, this season thing is a big thing mentioned in uh, Chinese medicine as well, because it's a lot of basis. You know, for example, rhodolia. You know, rhodolia that improve the um, yes the athletic performance, oxygen capacity, that sort of thing. It's mm -hmm. at high altitude, you know, near the Mongolia area, Nepal, high altitude. It, the plant grows there to tolerate the harsh environmental there with low oxygen. So the local that takes that, the Chinese told me before they need to climb higher altitude at um, the Nepal, traveling to Nepal or Mount Everest, they start taking this plant probably a month before the trip to adapt the body, to adapt, adjust the body, 
to, to able to tolerate lower oxygen uh, level environment. So all this actually telling me that the local grow plant, they actually suit for the local people to eat for a reason. And for us, we see the benefit of it and we don't know if we're just living at, you know, ground, area, normal, atmospheres, uh, pressure standard, atmospheres, pressure, and you long-term you're taking the, the plant, what will happen? I'm, I'm just um, having a lot of thought about this perspective as well. So like now food is so accessible, it got transport, you know, over from different countries. We are able to access food, fruit, vegetable from different seasons, different places. So if we stick to certain diet, certain uh, very fixed um, variety of food source, I am not sure if long term we might actually go in to the trouble. That is where the epigenetic changes come comes in, you know. Yeah. Good to talk to you, Steve. Because uh, it really provoked a lot of thoughts. Yes. And correlation yes. <laughs> information. Yeah. Yeah, I love uh, Rodiola Rosea, so putting that in the show notes as well. That's uh, called the destroyer of weakness in uh, Russian. <laughs> in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so now to... uh, I... Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, I I just uh yeah, my my mind just running now. I'm still <laughs> thinking about I'm now in Australia, I should follow the indigenous diet. I have seen I have seen um two indigenous pa patients who doesn't follow the Western diet, who still following their traditional diet. They are exceptionally young for their age. One is 70 years old. Her skin smooth. Her face has no wrinkle. It's oily skin. And she's lean. Her body build is really lean. She's not obese because a lot of uh, indigenous community here, they are in shorter lifespan and uh, high risk of diabetes, um, kidney failure because of the westernized diet. Um, so those that maintain the traditional way, they, these two particular patients I came across, they they really, really exceptionally young for their age. So uh, also, one of them have a very strange response to a common medication we use for the heart failure patient. She went into a severe hypokalemia, like the potassium level in the blood dropped very low until a dangerous level do you know with that low dose of that medication which i have not seen over my 20 years of nursing career so i find this is fascinating that you know her body is really different so i interview her she used to run in bushes hunt for kangaroo or hunt for little animal to eat eat the bush berries and they know 
they grow some herb, herbs, you know, for certain medicinal property. Yes, and they eat, you know, scrub, like the wiggly worm that grow in the bamboo stem, that sort of thing. They eat that scrub, they say it's high protein, something, yeah. Mm. Yes, just so eat local. I might, have to, look into, <laughs> I might mm -hmm. have to look into that diet. <laughs> yes. And do you have your protocols posted on Twitter as bookmarks or? Uh, my protocol, I posted on Twitter twice. Uh, but I keep changing it because as new information <laughs> come in, I keep changing it. So I know it's like you say, it's too individualized and it's very hard for people to follow. Yeah. And then um, one of my friends, he Twitter, <laughs> from Twitter, he said, every time I post something new, he, he was inclined to purchase the compound immediately. <laughs> and uh -huh. I said, whoa, no, no, no. I think from now on, I'll post something and you just read more on that, give it maybe one or two months of study on that compound before you decide you want to go on or not. Uh, otherwise, somebody might end up with cupboards of supplements at home. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I so I change my re regime all the time as I, I also play around with my regime, not just the compounds, the, uh, not just the dosage, but also the frequency and when to take it as well because there is a interaction between compound that if i find out then i will separate it like uh, omega-3 with nac and acetylcysteine do you know that that yes. i came across a experiment um that was investigating um about nac on mice or something no actually uh, investigating the effect of omega-3 something. And they found the NAC-treated mice, um, the, the autophagy, uh, the apoptosis effect of omega-3 is greatly reduced to almost zero, you know? So uh, I, I wouldn't mix if, but I'm not taking NAC because it gives me nausea feeling. But if I were to have to take both compound, I will take it separate time, you know. And what does that do? Uh, you know N-acetylcysteine, NAC? Yes. It's very popular. The people are taking it as antioxidant, right? So it will reduce the apoptosis effect of omega-3. So omega-3, uh, it okay. has this... Uh, yeah, so it will reduce the effect, and you don't want you don't want that happen, correct? Yes, got it. Yeah. So separate them. You still like the apoptosis effect uh, of the omega three for your cell cycling, right? The death of cell, which occur as a normal part of um, mm -hmm. uh, our organism development and growth, right? You have destroy and then rebuild, destroy, cleaning. Cleaning, yeah, don't say destroy. Cleaning and then rebuild, <laughs> regenerate. Cleaning and then regenerate. Then you maintain a youthful system, correct? Yes. You don't want accumulation of the sinus or very old damaged cell, that sort of thing. So all the intervention we are doing for AMPK, 
to activate AMPK and apoptosis. And omega-3 has this effect. It, it can uh, induce apoptosis. But NAC completely um, offset the effect. So you uh, don't want that. Mm. Right. So I, I, I'm going to post it on Twitter now. Omega-3 provoke apoptosis in hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, so we don't want to um, completely wipe off this effect, right? So just avoid taking NAC the same time as uh, omega-3. Usually for Western medicine, they say to avoid interaction, you pretty much have to take the compound three, three hours apart. Got it. Yeah. I will post that tweet when you... I mean, I'll put the tweet in the show notes when you post it. <laughs> I just post I have to find the mouse, mouse experiment. This was uh, in the incidental discovery. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we just have to read, keep reading and keep um, upgrading our, refreshing our approach. Got it. I'll post that when you, I mean, I'll put that in the show notes when you post it. Yeah. Right. Um, Steve, do you have any more question for me or should we call an end? Yes. What is the, <laughs> so it seems like. Oh my God. Our podcast is nearly two hours. One hour, 46 minutes. My God. You know, I was listening to your past podcast, which run until like one hour. And I told myself, oh, I'll just do a half an hour. Yes. <laughs> so, it seems... I'm not sure if anyone has the patience to listen. <laughs> no, you can just listen to 2x two, like a normal person. <laughs> okay. So um, it seems uh, like anti-aging wall at 80 to 120 years is there some way to reduce or is it going to be have to be something to extend lifespan mm. that's a question i cannot answer <laughs> um i think even the experts cannot answer as well so i feel better <laughs> no i i think it, it, it's it slightly require more technology, right? So I was thinking something like what Dr. Michael Levin's doing, the one that using the biobot to repair damaged tissue. If 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 FVH, our DNA repair mechanism, our regeneration, everything decline, the ability decline. So if we have some uh, a biobot to repair the damage constantly, that would be great. And then um, what comes to my mind, the biophoton as well, if we can increase this biophoton emission and have it, you know, transfer um, through the body, maybe we have a better repair mechanism. Um, I'm not sure. We'll put a question on that as well. But I think, you know, the future we will have that, that the, the work on prolonging lifespan will be, you know, um, infinite. The work 
that we will never have say, oh, we've done enough. This is enough already. We have done, we found this, you know, it has, it will be ongoing as human progress. That's what my, I believe, you know. So biophoton is one I'm thinking if we can in, increase that DNA damage repair, tissue damage repair. And then now gene editing. If someone has a, you know, mutated gene that give rise to severe disease, it's definitely helpful. And what do so, you think? Is yeah, all, all, all the technologies uh, will have to progress on well to develop human has to develop more technology that's what i think to radically extend our lifespan but we we also yeah we also want to um maintain our youthful our system good functioning system you know for that technology for to prolong our time for that uh, to be able to assess those technologies. And have some uh, occasional near-death experiences to remind you of what you're living for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, after the experience, I was so obsessed. I was so obsessed with longevity. You, you wouldn't believe it. My families, my friends, my colleagues, they were sick of me talking about it. Right, <laughs> but but at least now they feel better because they see my result, and they feel more encouraged that you know maybe what she say is you know has a bit of merit that we should start doing that. Because what I emphasize always is to try to start early, and maintain it, maintain the homeostasis. Yes, and there's plenty of people on the internet who are interested in this, so. Yeah, plenty. And the X, X price, the X price will definitely stimulate a lot of uh, technology development. Yeah, it's yeah. So I'm something to happen from that. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, uh, reward system works well for humans, so the price is huge. You know the. Hundred one oh one million dollar. Yeah. Mm, so that is a good way to stimulate technologies. <laughs> mm. Right. Should we uh, call a stop or? Yes, we can wrap up for the we, next three hours. <laughs> we we wrapped it up back to the beginning. So. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it back to the near the right. experience. So we have the longevity and the alien technologies, which we'll figure out in the yeah. future. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That well, Steve. I think the future is exciting. We will have a lot, a lot of area. We need to collaborate. People with different knowledge, skill, expertise. We we will we should all continuous to build our skill and knowledge. And you know, we if we combine, collaborate and combine all this effort, we can achieve great things. Yes. That's we have to re engineer our re engineer all our flying vehicles for sure. 
<laughs> to apply the anti-gravity the <laughs> technology. That's part of why I started the podcast is to try and have better conversations with more people. More interesting. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a great mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. I, I, I love listening to your podcast. Because I can pick into others' life, yeah. That way, their thoughts. Good, thank you. So thank we'll you. Wrap up here. Thanks for your time. We post it on Twitter and hopefully get a lot of listens and spread the information from your. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thank you, Eve. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye. We'll Have a great later. evening. So, Bye. 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 Thank you. Thanks.